Welcome to Major Figures in Spanish Culture, a podcast produced by Fundación Juan Marc. In each episode, we invite renowned experts to sit down and share stories about some of Spain's most distinguished figures who have greatly influenced and contributed to the advancement and richness of Spanish culture. When you think of the most important Spanish writers, Cervantes is probably the first name that comes to mind. But what about Benito Pérez Galdós, a writer of the turn of the century who some scholars deem to be as equal to Dickens, Balzac, and Tolstoy? In this episode, Hermann Guyon is here to tell us more. Hermann Guyon is Professor Emeritus of Spanish Literature at the University of Amsterdam. The general view of 19th-century European narrative is somehow incomplete. The literary critics, mainly English and French, who set up the canonical banquet table of the 19th-century novelists, made name tags for only a few. Balzac, Dickens, Dostoyevsky, Tolstoy, Flaubert, Zola, and Henry James. Meanwhile, writers of equal talent, like Exa de Queiroz, Giovanni Berga and Benito Pérez Galdós were not even contemplated as possible guests. A much better perspective of the realist narrative is offered by the idea that all the above-mentioned European artists wrote eloquently about the bourgeois experience of their own societies, an outlook on life based on a set of values revolving around money, not the inherited kind, but the one that is acquired through the course of doing business. And we can round up the thought saying that the works of these eminent writers taken together offer a great mural of the 19th century life. In Spain, Pérez Galdós is considered the most important fiction writer after Miguel de Cervantes, because he made an extraordinary contribution to the world of letters, the unique way he crafts the human truth in his texts, one who supersedes all other verities, religious or social. Galdós's literary talent has been time and again underestimated by critics, mainly in the Anglo-Saxon cultural sphere. He has been dismissed, like his contemporary, the painter Joaquín Sorolla, in the art world, both being judged to be less artistic than their peers. What nonsense that is. Pérez Galdós and Sorolla are the masters of the au plein air art. They both transposed the Spanish reality to the text and to the canvas. They looked for their inspiration in the observation of the world. Their compositions can be traced back to the real world. They worked in a different manner from their models, Cervantes for Galdós and Velázquez for Sorolla who made well-thought-out compositions on their desk or in the studio, while their modern counterparts preferred to find the beauty in the open air, on the streets of Madrid or the beaches of Valencia, and capture reality life. Not long ago, the Natural Gallery London bought his first Sorolla, after housing an excellent exhibition, Sorolla, the Spanish Master of Light, 2019. The board of the museum, 
perhaps realized that there was a gaping hole in their collection when they noticed the enthusiasm shown by visitors for the works of the Spanish artist. The paintings of Sorolla present a bright Spain, not the one of the obscure religious images painted by Francisco de Rivera, the darkness of the Inquisition inspired by the black legend, nor the romantic view full of stereotypes of Andalusian life. Benito Pérez Galdós, 1843-1920, was born in Las Palmas on the Canary Islands. In an upper-middle-class family, his father, Sebastián Pérez, was a military officer who fought against Napoleon during the War of Independence, an amiable man, while Dolores Galdós, his mother, had a strong-willed character. Benito was the tenth and last child of the family and received the care and love of his six sisters, from which only one would marry. Once the young adult obtained his bachelor, Dolores Galdós thought it was advisable to send him to Madrid to study law. Madrid society was full of energy and it was modernizing at a fast pace. Within two years after Benito's arrival in Madrid, he left his law studies and began to work as a reporter for several newspapers. Later, he will even be the director of a couple of them, El Debate and Revista de España. During this period of his life, between the arrival in Madrid in 1862 and 1870, Galdós will forge his intellectual makeup. He will become a keen observer of life around him, and his inquiring mind, distanced from his conservative family and social milieu of the island, was looking for new answers. Little by little, he will acquire a new set of values, liberal ones, due in part to his becoming a frequent visitor of the Ateneo, where he could read the foreign newspapers and listen to the lectures of the liberal intellectuals of his time, especially Francisco Giner de los Ríos. He was mentor of the Spanish cultural elite, whose influence will stretch to the following generations of Juan Ramón Jiménez and Antonio Machado, and beyond to Federico García Lorca, Salvador Dalí, and Luis Buñuel. This fletching newspaperman, who reported on the cultural and political events of the day in a matter-of-fact way, found his soulmates in liberal thinkers like Giner de los Ríos and Emilio Castelar. They embraced the same ideals, and they were looking at the world, at Europe, to expand their intellectual outlook, anxious to leave the confines of the Spanish traditionalism. A sort of idealism guided by a Catholic nationalist ideology. As luck will have it, he was invited to go to Paris to visit the World Exposition of 1867 by his brother-in-law, Hermenegildo Hurtado de Mendoza, husband of his sister, Carmen. The following summer, 1868, his brother Domingo and Magdalena took him again to France. During this last trip, he began to write a novel, La Fontana de Oro, his first one, as he yearned for a more lasting podium for his ideas than a newspaper column. 
He was visiting Barcelona with his family when the news of a political turmoil reached him. He ran to Madrid in time to experience the political earthquake that was taking place, the revolution of 1868, when the sitting monarch, Queen Isabel II, was sent into exile. A new Spain was going to be forged in the turbulent next six years. An attempt to restore the monarchy with an Italian noble failed, as well as the First Spanish Republic. And at the end of 1874, the restoration of the Bourbon monarchy took place. However, those six years of democratic rule were sufficient to change the social profile of the country. A new reality was born, one of a secular society ruled by a constitution that lent rights to the citizens. Galdós will dedicate the next few years to write novels where the new order was portrayed. The young liberal newspaperman, an eager observer of bourgeois society, armed with the Spanish literal tradition, refocused by the novels of Dickens and Balzac, was ready to begin the most impressive narrative journey of his time. The first few fictions, the best known being Doña Perfecta, 1876, will be authoritarian novels. Perhaps you think, said Doña Perfecta, with a tinge of conceit in her tones, that Señor Don Innocencio is going to remain silent and not give you an answer to each and every one of those points. Oh no, exclaimed the canon, arching his eyebrows. I will not attempt to measure my poor abilities with a champion so valiant and at the same time so well armed. Señor Don José knows everything. That is to say, he has at his command the whole arsenal of the exact sciences. Of course, <laughs> I know the doctrines he upholds are false but I have neither the talent nor the eloquence to combat them. I would employ theological arguments drawn from revelation, from faith, from the divine word. But alas, Señor Don José, who's an eminent savant, would laugh at theology, at faith, at revelation, at the holy prophets, at the gospel. A poor, ignorant priest, an unhappy man who knows neither mathematics nor German philosophy with its ego and its non-ego. A poor priest who knows only the signs of God and something of the Latin poets cannot enter into combat with so valiant a champion. Gloria, 1877 La Familia de León Roche, 1879, among others, where the reader could feel the impatience of the narrator who wanted to brush aside deep-rooted Catholic Spain. During these years, he also published a series of novels titled Episodios Nacionales, where he told a semi-fictional manner the recent history of Spain, from the time of Napoleon's invasion of the Iberian Peninsula to his defeat. A total of 20 novels that gained him fame among Spaniards of all political persuasions, 
thanks to the nationalist tone, and their popularity extends to the present. The valor of the Spaniards did not avail to rescue any ships but ours, for they were too late and had to return without being able to give chase to the English ships that kept guard over the San Juan, the Bahama, and the San Ildefonso. We were still four leagues from land when we saw them making towards us. A southerly gale was blowing up, and it was clear to all on board of the Santa Ana that if we did not get soon into port, we should have a bad time of it. Once more we were filled with anxiety. Once more we lost hope, almost in sight of safety. And when a few hours more on the cruel sea would have seen us safe and sound in harbor. Years later, around 1898, he would publish some 26 more episodios. The publication in 1881 of La Desheredada marked the moment when his narrative reached a new level of accomplishment and inaugurated the renewal of Spanish fiction. Galdós aimed to gain readers through persuasion instead of imposing his values upon them. Curiously, the authoritarian novels were translated into several European languages and received praise the world over. Even a movie will be made of Doña Perfecta years later in Hollywood, Beauty in Chains, 1918. But his most important production, El Amigo Manso, 1882, El Doctor Centeno, 1883, Tormento, 1884, La de Blingas, 1884, Lo Prohibido, 1885, and Fortunata y Jacinta, 1886 and 1887, the so-called contemporary novels for which he occupies a central position in the history of Spanish letters, did not cross the Pyrenees well. In fact, Fortunata y Jacinta, his masterpiece, will not be translated into English until the last quarter of the 20th century. These novels present a secular bourgeois society, populated by citizens who enjoyed the shared rights of European democratic nations, like freedom of the press. Once we turn the first page of La Desheredada, we are welcomed by a friendly narrator who knows the characters. In fact, he is one of them and begins to tell a simple Cervantine story. A young woman imagines belonging to the Spanish nobility with aristocratic heritage, but it turns out in reality she is the daughter of an insane man of modest ancestors. Galdós goes on to create a marvelous story describing the innocence and failings of the dreamer girl, the hardness of life, and her mental meanderings to bridge reality and fantasy. Perhaps the most relevant fact is that Galdós enjoyed a technique he has not been credited for, the use of the second-person narrative. Isidora, the I, addresses her consciousness, the you, to inquire about herself. At the end, reality is stronger than the dream and Isidora ends in the hands of men who mistreated her.
Writing these contemporary novels, also called novels of his second narrative manner, from La Desheredada to Fortunata y Jacinta and Miao, the author will find his own narrative voice, a way to project his persona into the text that sounds completely different to the ones we hear in the texts of Dickens or Balzac. He appears as a friend of the characters, is a bit as the doctor of their souls somebody who understands their failings and embraces their longing for love. He also creates a historical context that frames the lives of the characters. As we read these novels, we notice how at ease the narrator feels, more and more comfortable in his role. Galdós has found the appropriate tone to tell the lives of his fellow citizens, their reality framed by the values of progressive Spain. Fortunata y Jacinta is his masterpiece, a true narrative symphony where a woman of the working class, Fortunata, challenges the status quo. The child, born of an adulterous relationship with Juanito, husband of Jacinta, a typical upper-middle-class woman, barren, gives her the right to claim to be Juanito's true wife instead of the one with the official papers. I am Fortunata. Jacinta was speechless. Then she uttered a sharp cry, like a person bitten by a snake. Fortunata nodded her head affirmatively, insolently, repeating, I, I am. But she was so breathless that she couldn't articulate the rest of her statement. The Dauphine lowered her eyes and jerking abruptly, freed herself. She tried to say something, but couldn't. The other drew back, her eyes ablaze, panting, and walking backward, she kept talking, although the words didn't come out clearly now. I'll grab you and knock you down, because if I was in your place, I'd be... She caught her breath at this point and was able to say, Better than you. Better than you. A central character in Fortunata y Jacinta is Evaristo Feijó, a double of Galdós, who recommends Fortunata to do whatever she wants, but without creating a scandal, a hypocritical behavior that goes well with Spanish society. This prudent position matches Galdós's outlook on life. Just about this time, 1886, he was elected parliamentarian, a congressman, of the Liberal Party of Praxedes Mateo Sagasta. Political life and the many demands of his time made him decide to look for a place to spend some quiet time. He bought a parcel of land in the coastal town of Santander, where he had been spending the summers away from the heat of Madrid, and built a house. It was a magnificent place overlooking the bay of the city. Around 1892, the house was finished and he moved all his books, a large collection of paintings, souvenirs and correspondence from the apartment in Madrid to this summer house called San Quintín. Besides the political occupation, we have evidence that between the years 1887 and 1892, his love life always kept secret, will influence him greatly. 
First, he met Lorenza Cobian in Santander, a woman without much formal education, but with an independent character whom he took to Madrid and whom he introduced to his painter friends, where she would work as a model. In the meantime, he met Emilia Pardo Bazán, also a renowned novelist, a true intellectual, and soon they became lovers. As we know from the letters written by her, his are lost, it was the first time he opened up to somebody. Unfortunately, Emilia, while being Benito's lover, had an affair with a young businessman, José Lázaro Galdiano. Afterwards, she was sorry, confessed her infidelity and begged for forgiveness. However, the relationship was damaged, and to make matters more complicated, Galdós got involved with a young actress, Concha Ruth Morel, in 1892. The liaison with Emilia had a profound effect on Galdós and his narrative. Although the involvement had been short and intense, her infidelity impacted him greatly. His novels took an inward turn in La Incognita and Realidad. The author was searching for reasons for the infidelity. The novels of this third narrative manner, usually known as the spiritualist novels, are potent inquiries into the failings of love. The following novel, Tristana, was inspired by Concha Morel, a lively, verbally gifted person, but without economic means, so she could not get a formal education nor be employed to do meaningful work. The novel constitutes the best Spanish look at the impossible situation of women in a paternalistic society of the 19th century. Years later, Luis Buñuel made an impressive movie with Catherine Deneuve as Tristana, where he sculpted in celluloid the figure of a female trapped by social norms. Inside her, emotion was kicking and stamping, like a living being far larger than the chest containing it, and she vented this emotion by laughing wildly or bursting into sudden, passionate tears. It was impossible to say if this feeling was a source of joy to them or a lacerating sorrow, because they both felt as if they had been wounded by a sting that plunged deep into their souls, and were both tormented by a desire for something beyond themselves. Don Lope yielded such power over her, such mysterious authority, that in his presence, even though she had ample reasons to rebel, she could not dredge up so much as a breath of willpower. Around this time, he began his career as playwright, but it was not until ten years later that one of his plays, Electra, in 1901, became an overwhelming success. It is an explosive anti-Catholic church piece, or better said, an attack on the intrusion of the clerics, mainly Jesuits, in family affairs, which attracted European attention. For the second time, Galdós was spoken of in Europe. The first was after the translation of various authoritarian novels. 
especially in France. In the end, he will write or arrange about 23 pieces for the stage, becoming the most popular Spanish playwright of the first 20 years of the past century. More spiritual novels follow, like Nazarene and Misericordia. Benina, the protagonist of Misericordia, is perhaps his best-drawn one, a woman who begs on the streets to feed her penniless employer, while she tells her that she works as a part-time helper at the house of a person invented by her, the priest Don Romualdo. One day, she comes home and her mistress says that Don Romualdo had called home asking for her. So Benina, the fictional character, has produced a miracle. Her invention turned into a flesh-and-blood character. Lorenza Cobian gave him a child, whom he would recognize and give his name, and to whom he left all his properties. Despite financial difficulties, a bright point of his life remained the summers in San Quintín. He was always surrounded by family, his godmother Magdalena, his sisters Concha and Carmen, his nephew Pepe, with whom he will delight family and visitors playing the violin and the harmonium respectively. Every morning he wrote and tended the garden, where he cultivated all sorts of flowers and vegetables. His dogs were always around. During the afternoon he enjoyed a good session of painting. He had done quite a bit of it in Las Palmas, later in Madrid. Now he spent many afternoons painting marine scenes, sometimes accompanied by a friend like future president Antonio Maura. His only regret was that his new love, Theodosia Gandarias, twenty years his junior, remained alone in Madrid. It was the longest love relationship of his life, from 1907 till her death in 1919. In Madrid, he would visit her daily, and together they corrected proofs and listened to music. It was a mature, calm relationship. In 1909, Caldós noticed his eyesight was failing. He was operated twice, 1909 and 1911, but the procedures did not go well. By this time, he was recognized in Spain as the great man of letters. He was even proposed for the Nobel Prize in 1912, but the Swedish Academy preferred the idealistic kind of author to a realistic one. As I said, a series of circumstances went against the recognition of Galdós as the great European novelist that he was. His fame peaked too early. His authoritarian novels, not his best ones, were successful in the US and in France. But the enmity of the conservative questioned the quality of his best novels. Also, the declining influence of Spain on the world stage contributed to veil his accomplishments. His best novels were not translated into European languages until the late 20th century. Of course, the way Spain was seen in Europe, swinging between the black legend and the romantic view, did not help either. Furthermore, 
the long success of Galdós as a novelist, prolonged by his years of being a popular playwright, made him a target for the modernist, a group of talented writers, Miguel de Unamuno, Pio Baroja, Azorín, and Ramón María del Valle Inclán. His continuous success overshadowed their accomplishments, so they advanced a wretched disqualification of the artistic component of his works. If one likes to get a portrait of Spain of the second part of the 19th century, there is no better place than the novels of Galdós. They are not only a magnificent portrait of the country and his society, but a work of art full of innovative techniques and human insights. The amiable voice of his narrator seeps through his pages and offers a face of a democratic Spain, a country where citizens fought for obtaining a decent life. It is not surprising that 30,000 inhabitants of Madrid accompanied his funeral carriage to the cemetery and that the exposition in the National Library of Madrid commemorating the centenary of his death attracted more visitors than ever before. Galdós and Sorolla anchored in Spanish culture the face of humanity, illuminated by the transparent light of our country. Thank you for joining us on Major Figures in Spanish Culture. In the next episode, we're sitting down with Felipe Fernández Armesto, William P. Reynolds, Professor of History at the University of Notre Dame, who will talk about one of the world's most controversial figures, Christopher Columbus. See you next time. Thank you.